A young woman was brutally murdered in Los Angeles, California, and for 46 years, she was only known as Jane Doe 59. As investigators looked into this case, they found out that she may have been connected to one of the most notorious cults ever known. I'm your host, Coy Atkins, and this is the story of Reet Jerviston. On November 16, 1969, a 15-year-old boy was birdwatching off of Mulholland Drive in Los Angeles, California. While he's looking for birds, he spotted something off the road in an area of thick bushes. And as he approached the bushes, he realized that it was the dead body of a young woman. And it wasn't long after that that the police were on scene to begin their investigation. The woman was fully clothed, but she didn't have any ID on her and she died of stab wounds which were mostly around her neck but in total she had been stabbed over a hundred and fifty times her body was dumped off the side of the road that goes down into a canyon and the thick bushes and a tree branch actually stopped her body from rolling into the canyon which was almost 700 feet deep the day after the victim was discovered the medical examiner conducted an autopsy the medical examiner believed that the body was found within 24 to 48 hours after the murder. The victim also had defensive wounds on her hands, and it didn't appear that she was a victim of a robbery or a sexual assault. There were no drugs or alcohol in her system when she died either. The woman was a white female believed to be between 20 and 23 years old. She was about 5'9 and 112 pounds, with green eyes and dark brown hair. She had a small scar on her stomach, and she had several fillings in her teeth. Detectives searched through binders full of paperwork on missing person cases, trying to match her with anyone that was reported missing, but they didn't have any luck at all. The victim was the 59th Jane Doe that the medical examiner had in 1969, which is how she got the name Jane Doe 59. Another issue that police faced? Los Angeles is a place that people from all over the world travel to. There was a good chance that she didn't have any family or friends nearby, or that they would even know she was missing. Several of her clothing items she was wearing were manufactured in either Canada or Massachusetts, and she was also wearing a sweater and a denim jacket, and investigators figured that if she was from LA, she would probably have had lighter clothing. So they thought that she could have been from somewhere that's colder, like Canada or Massachusetts. LAPD sent out bulletins with pictures of the clothing, jewelry that she had on, and the description to Interpol, the Canadian Royal Police, and several police departments on the east coast of the U.S. in order to try and see if anyone had a missing person case that matched her, but this led them nowhere. While they couldn't pinpoint exactly where Jane Doe 59 was from, they did find some similarities in her case and another case that they had. Just 11 months prior to Jane Doe 59 being found, Los Angeles police were investigating another murder on Mulholland Drive. Now, Mulholland Drive is 21 miles long. It follows the Santa Monica Mountains and the Hollywood Hills. So two bodies along this road might not be much of a coincidence. 
In December 1968, 17-year-old Marina Habe was found murdered on Mulholland Drive. Just like Jane Doe 59's murder, Marina was stabbed to death with several stab wounds to her chest and neck. She was also fully clothed when she was found. There was no signs of it being a robbery or a sexual assault. But Marina wasn't just found anywhere on this 21-mile stretch of Mulholland Drive. She was found less than a mile away from where Jane Doe 59 was found. Marina was a student at the University of Hawaii. She was in town visiting her mother, and she went on a date with her boyfriend, John. At the end of the date, Marina dropped John off at his house and returned home. Her mother heard a car pull into the driveway around 3 in the morning. When she looked outside, she saw a man next to Marina's car. The man began yelling, go, 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 and ran toward a parked car that was in the street, and then the car took off. When her mother ran outside, the car keys were still in Marina's car, but Marina was nowhere around. So her mother thought that this was a kidnapping, and due to the man yelling at someone back at the car, that there may have been two or more people involved. And as police are investigating Marina's death and Jane Doe 59's murder, they draw a connection to another murder that was also within a mile from where Marina and Jane Doe 59 was found. And that would be the murder of actress Sharon Tate, who was killed by the Charles Manson family. Not only were the murders so close in geography, but they were similar and brutal murders where the murder weapon appeared to be a knife. Charles Manson was already in jail at the time that Jane Doe 59 was found, but there were still plenty of his family members that were out doing things for him. And just to be clear, I'm using family members very loosely here as it's people that were involved in his cult. But one of these is including his second-in-command person, named Bruce Davis. So detectives, they decided to go to Spawn Ranch, which was an old movie set that Charles Manson and his members lived at. They talked to a woman named Ruby Pearl, and Ruby wasn't part of this family, but she just worked at the ranch. When they showed her a picture of Jane Doe 59, she said that she thought that their girl looked familiar and that she had seen her on the ranch before, but believed that her name was Sadie. Detectives then went straight to the source, Charles Manson himself. They showed him a picture of Jane Doe 59 and asked if he remembered her. Manson said that there were so many girls that he couldn't remember everyone. He was very cryptic in his interview and talked about how he didn't care what their real names were and that if he did meet them, he gave them new names while they were on the ranch. So even if she was there, the name Sadie may not have been her real name. And other than that, Manson didn't give them any further information to work with. But then they came across another incident that involved the Manson family. And this was between Bruce Davis and John Hott. And this happened just 11 days prior to Jane Doe 59 being found. Bruce and John and several other family members were squatting in a house in LA. The story from Bruce and the other family members goes like this. Bruce was in the back room of the house and John walked in the room. He picked up a revolver that was sitting on the nightstand and he decided that he was going to play Russian Roulette. He then put the gun to his head, pulled the trigger once, and shot himself in the head. When police got there, everything seemed a little off. Yeah, everyone was telling the same story for what happened, but the odd thing was that the gun was fully loaded. For one, I don't know who plays Russian Roulette at all, but really, who plays Russian Roulette with a fully loaded gun? And with nothing to go off of to say that this was a murder, the police ended up ruling John's death a suicide. 
in the DA's office, they had their own theory. And here's theirs. The house that John, Bruce, and the other family members were squatting in, it was near the beach. When Jane Doe 59 was found, she had tan lines, and it was in November. So it was possible that she was spending a lot of time at the beach. So she may have come across the Manson family. And after spending time with them, she may have known that John's death was not a suicide and that it was a murder. Which led someone in the family to killing her. As investigators were looking into this theory, they realized that Bruce, he seemed to have just disappeared. And he stayed missing for about a year. And it's unclear if he went into hiding because he actually did kill John and was just trying to hide. Or if it was from Jane Doe 59's body being discovered. But he eventually turned himself in for being connected to other murders by the Manson family. And that's kind of where things came to a stop, at least with trying to connect her to the Manson family, because they were never able to say for sure if she was at Spawn Ranch or if she was connected to John and Bruce. And time just went on. She still wasn't identified, and the case just began growing colder and colder and colder. Over the years, cold case detectives reviewed the case trying to find new information. In 2003, they submitted a DNA sample from the clothes that she was wearing to be tested. While they didn't get a match back to anyone, but they were able to establish the DNA profile for the victim. They also posted photographs, sketches, and other information on a true crime blog. But from there, it was back to nothing. In fact, it was nothing for a while. And it wasn't until 2015, 46 years after being discovered in a ravine, that Jane Doe 59 was identified. Over the last few years, I've been writing a fictional book called One Moment, and it's now available on Amazon. It's based in St. Augustine, Florida, and it tells the story of Micah and Sarah. After spending six years in the army, Micah returned to his hometown. Returning home was never part of his plan, but after the physical, emotional, and mental stress from war, home was the best place for him. Sarah is beginning to put her life back together after escaping an abusive marriage. At 24 years old, She's a 911 dispatcher living in St. Augustine. While she is starting to heal, she crosses paths with Micah. Immediately, there is an undeniable connection between the two of them, and they know that they were put in each other's lives for a reason. When Sarah's jealous and abusive ex-husband finds out about the new relationship, he has to get involved himself. While this puts a strain on Sarah and Micah's relationship, dark secrets begin to come out, and they learn that Maybe you never truly know someone, and sometimes the best and the worst things in life can all be traced back to one moment. One Moment's available now on Amazon. It's $9.99 for a paperback copy and $2.99 for an ebook. The Amazon link is in the show notes, and if you read it, I really hope you enjoy it, and please let me know what you think of it. In 2015, Ann Jerviston was contacted by one of her friends who had been searching through a national missing and unidentified person system online. The friend came across a picture of Jane Doe 59 and thought that it looked very similar to Ann's sister, who she hadn't seen in a very long time. And her name was Reet Jerviston. Ann immediately contacted LAPD and submitted a DNA sample which showed that she was related to Jane Doe 59 and confirmed that it was in fact Reet Jerviston. 
So now after 46 years, investigators, they have a family member to talk to, and they start putting together the story for what happened to Reed. Reed's family lived in Montreal, Canada, and she came from a family that was very strict and religious. But she was more of a free-spirited person, and she wanted to be a part of this counterculture hippie movement that was going on in Los Angeles in the late 60s. Then, in the spring of 1969, Reet was 19 years old, and she met this guy in Montreal. And this guy, he was studying medicine in L.A. He invited her to go to L.A. with him, and she agreed to. And the man's name is not 100% clear on how it's pronounced, because there may be some sort of mix-up in translation here. But the family knew his name was either Jean or John. But they weren't able to say for sure if it was the John that was part of the Manson family that was killed. And just to be clear, there's also a John in Marina's case, which was her boyfriend at the time. They were able to determine that's not the same John from the Manson family. So Reed boarded a bus and took off for LA. When she got there, she settled into a small apartment and sent a postcard back home to her parents to let them know that she had a place to live and that she arrived safely. Then, as months passed, her family didn't hear anything from her. She was supposed to go visit her brother in Arizona, and when that didn't happen, the family hired a private investigator to try and track her down. But the private investigator couldn't find anything on her. Reed's family, they actually believed that she just cut off ties with them. She came from a very strict, religious, and conservative family, and she was just the opposite of all of that. So they thought that she ventured off on her own to start a new life. In 2015, Charles Manson was still in a California prison. So detectives, they go to him again with an actual picture of Reet that they got from Anne, hoping that Manson would give them some sort of information. But he said that he didn't know her. He'd never seen her before. But even if he did know her, or if he had saw her, he would never tell them anyways. In 2017, Charles Manson died in prison. His second-in-command, Bruce Davis, is still in prison, along with several other family members. Even though Bruce has now become a minister in prison, he still won't talk about anything involving the Manson family, and neither will any of the other members. Which means that there still aren't any answers for what happened to Reet Jerviston, and the biggest hope for her sister Anne is that one day, one of the family members will finally talk to investigators, especially if they had anything to do with this murder or not. As of now, the similarities in Reet, Marina's, and Sharon Tate's murders are all so similar in the way that they were murdered, the locations of the murder, but they haven't officially been connected. It's just all very similar circumstances. And this brings us to a conclusion of this episode. If I can ask just a small favor from you, please subscribe to the show on whatever platform you're listening on. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please let me know what you think of the show with a rating or a review. And thank you for listening.